Thanks for checking out this sermon at New Beginnings. As a church, we exist to become an authentic, biblical community. That transforms our city and impacts the world. With the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to make you aware of a few things before we begin. First, we would love to connect with you on our website. NBBCTX.org. There you can find more information about who we are. Additional resources and links to our social media network. As well as an opportunity to give. To what God is doing in and through our church. We hope you enjoy this message. We are launching into a brand new series called Who's Your One? Who's Your One? Last week we wrapped up an incredible series called Let Me Explain. And in that, ex- in that uh, series, we took uh, an apologetic approach to some very critical and pressing issues in our culture and in the church. And in that final message last week that uh, Pastor Connor preached, um, he kind of unpacked the command that we have to share the gospel. He reminded us that the gospel and the kingdom of God changes our motivation. It, it um, uh, gives us our message and sends us on our mission as believers in Jesus Christ. And that mission is to share the gospel. So throughout this series, we're going to examine our calling as followers of Jesus Christ to share the good news of Jesus with the world around us. And listen, there is a resource that we want to put in your hand to help you do that. At our welcome uh, guest, uh, welcome central there, uh, out at our uh, guest uh, desk right out here in the lobby, you're going to see a stack of books that look like this called Evangelism Takes Heart. And this is a nine-week devotional guide for you so that every day you can spend some time in God's Word seeing how God uses one to change people's lives. And this is going to help us be a resource for you to begin to kind of cultivate um, a heart for evangelism. Listen, evangelism... It can be very difficult. It can be intimidating. It can be challenging. And so we need all the help we can get. So we are going to work our way through this series. But this is something you can dive into every single day to help you begin to cultivate a heart that longs to share the gospel. And listen, it's three bucks. It's three dollars. So go out there and buy a dozen of them. All right? They're three bucks. Go get you one. And here's the deal. Uh, We offer these kind of resources Because we know that sharing the gospel is one of the single most important aspects of being a believer in Jesus Christ. The world is broken. Do you believe that? you believe our world is broken? And we have been found by the only one who can restore it. Amen? We have been found by Jesus Christ. And because we have been found by him, we have been commissioned to go and be a part of others being found by him. Now, with this series, we are initiating a personal evangelism effort, also called Who's Your One? This effort is going to call each of us to identify one person who we will be willing to share our faith with and invite them to respond to Jesus. Listen, the vision at New Beginnings is to become an authentic biblical community that transforms our city and impacts the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to see a city transformed with the gospel. We want the world to be impacted with the gospel. Our pastors and elders believe that God has called this body, 
this spiritual family to see the city transformed. Church, do you believe that the city of Gilbert needs to be transformed? Because I do. I believe that through this evangelism effort, through each one of us asking God to reveal to us who's my one that I am going to share my faith with and invite to respond to Jesus Christ. I think that if we will all take this seriously, we can begin to see this city be transformed. We can begin to see the, the shackles of addiction fall off of this city. We can begin to see the burden of broken homes falling off of this city. We can begin to see a city transformed right here. And I want that. I desire that. But above that, God has called us to do it, right? He has called us to do this. Imagine what a difference we can make if we will each take this seriously and get after the calling of God on our lives to tell others about Jesus. So with that in mind, I want you to grab your Bible. Go with me to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, we're going to start in verse 16, reading a very familiar passage of scripture this morning. As you're turning there, let me kind of tell you where we are in the narrative. This is the very end of Matthew's gospel. This is the last few uh, words that Jesus is saying to his disciples. And so, so he's already, uh, they've, they've come out of the last supper and he's already gone through the garden. He's been arrested, tried. He's been crucified Buried for three days, dead. Everyone saw him dead. And now he is alive. He is resurrected. He has revealed himself to Mary Magdalene and the other Mary that was with her at uh, the tomb that day. And he told them to go and tell the brothers to come and meet me at Galilee and they will see me there. So Jesus has done all of that. And then in verse 16, God's word says this. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Lord God, would you illuminate your word to us today? We confess our need for you, our dependence upon you, God. And I'm asking that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would reveal yourself to us, God. Let us hear your voice. Um, let us see your hand moving. God, your word is powerful. It is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correcting, and instructing in righteousness. Would you do all of that in our hearts today? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, this is known as the Great Commission. The Great Commission. And I'd like to begin um, the conversation around this commission by Jesus by giving a statement of conviction that we hold. And then kind of from the text, we will unpack and discover the reasons why we hold it. So if you're a note taker, write this down. If you're not a note taker, take out your phone, take a picture of the screen because you're going to want to hold on to this. And that is this, the why we go and the how we go are built around and held together by the what we go to do. The why we go and the how we go are built around and held together 
by the what we go to do. I'll leave that up just for a second. We're going we're gonna to kind of break this statement down in three uh, primary parts. So the first thing we're going to look at is the why we go. That was the first words out of Jesus' mouth. Notice the disciples didn't talk. They came, they saw him, they worshiped him, some doubted, and the first thing Jesus said was go. He said, all authority is heaven, in heaven and earth has been given to me, now go. So why do we go? You know, every time I am given instruction, every time I am told what to do, the first thing I want to know is why. I want you to know my mama found that so irritating growing up. <laughs> Anybody got the ki your kids? Tell them what to do, but they want to know why. They want to know, you know, why. Well, my kids always get to ask why. Now, I will tell you they are rarely satisfied with the answer, but they can ask, you know. <laughs> they always have the freedom to ask, and rarely does that answer make them go, oh, yes, Dad. Obedience sounds amazing now that I know the why. It's, it doesn't go like that. Not in my house. Maybe it's your house. But um, they can always ask why. And listen, the bigger the ask, the bigger the, the command, the better the reason must be for doing it. It's, th think about it like this. There's a difference in me telling my kids to clean their room and my doctor telling me to take my medicine. Those aren't quite the same thing. Now, both of those require a response, but not for the same reason. And here's what I mean. One of these I do because we do because there is an authority that we must obey, and the other we do because there is an understanding, there is a presence, there is a knowledge that surpasses my own in telling me what is best. If I tell my kids, clean your room, they need to go do that because I have the authority to tell them to go do it, and it is their job to respond to that authority in obedience and go clean their room. When my doctor tells me, Matt, you need to take this medicine. Now, I don't have to obey him, but I'm going to do what he's saying. Why? Because there is a presence there. There's an understanding. There's a knowledge that I don't have that is for my good, that is, for, uh, that is the best for me. So, Though I don't have to, I follow that instruction. And listen, Jesus fulfills both of these obligations. Both of these are answered in the person of Jesus Christ. What do I mean? Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So when he says go, we go because he has authority. But we also go because he is with us. He's given us his presence. And because there is an understanding there that we don't have, but as we obey, it is for our good. So why do we go? Here's the first thing I want you to see. We go because all authority belongs to Jesus, and he said go. That is why we go. I want you to number, I want you to notice the number of times the word all appears in the Great Commission. He says all authority. He says all nations, teaching them all that I have commanded you, and I am with you always. Listen, there is a completeness to the authority of Jesus. He said I have all authority. And listen, this is not uh, just some might 
or power like a warrior or a conqueror would have. No, this is an authority that is his by right. It is a divine authority that has been given to him from the foundation of the world. And now, having defeated sin and death and the grave, he has risen, resurrected, holding that authority in his grip and now sharing it with us so that we might then take it and share it as we declare the gospel. So we must understand that first, why do we go? Because the one with all authority said go. And listen, a primary evidence of our salvation by God is our obedience to God. Whew. I don't like saying sentences like that, you know, because now I start thinking of all the ways that I don't walk in obedience, but it is true. A, a primary evidence of our salvation by God is our obedience to God. Jesus said in John 14, 15, he said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. What is he saying? He is saying your obedience is an evidence of your belonging to me. Your obedience is an evidence of your belonging to me. It is hard to say that you are devoted and to be disobedient. Because one of those then is disqualifying. One of those doesn't affirm the other. Right? If I say I love my wife, but I don't display a love for her, do my words matter? She would tell you they do, they do not. Right? And this is what Jesus is saying. Your obedience is an evidence of your belonging to me. And listen, it never goes well to argue with the one in charge. It just never, ever goes well. I remember right, right out of high school, kind of that early college age, I was around 18 or 19, you know that age when you had it all figured out. Uh, I, uh, I have an 18-year-old now. She's got it all figured out. Uh, I, I got a job at a place called Lone Star Tubular Services Incorporated. And, and Lone Star Tubular Services was uh, uh, kind of a, a sister company of Lone Star Steel there in Lone Star. And so um, we would go and we worked with all this pipe and all of these, all this kind of oil and, and gas uh, equipment. And I had been assigned by my foreman that day to, uh, to spray this pipe, there was this, uh, this uh, finish that we put on this pipe that helped it not to rust, to last longer, that sort of thing. And he had taught me how to do it. He said, hey, I want you to stand on the ground. I want you to take the spray wand. I want you to spray it, and that's going to protect it. Then you walk around to the other side of the pipe, and you spray back the other way. And he said, that's how you're going to do it. Yes, sir. So he goes back into his office, and I go, I know how I'm going to do it. I got it. And I had seen other guys doing it a different way. They would climb up on the rack of pipe and walk around on that pipe and spray it and do it in about half the time. And I was like, I'm doing that. I'm going to do it that way. Now, I don't know if you've ever tried to walk. Anybody ever done like the log roll to see how long you could stay up? It's quite tricky to stand on a, a, a cylinder that is perpetually wanting to spin under your, under your feet. And so I, I decided I was going to do it my way, the way I'd seen those guys do it. I'd jump up on that rack of pipe, and for about 30 seconds, 
I had it going like a boss. I was working that chemical, and I took one step, and there was no pipe behind me, and I fell through, landed on a rack on this behind, uh, behind me, fell underneath the rack of pipe, and now I'm on the ground. There's pipe over me, and I never let go of that trigger, and so I'm just being rained on by this chemical mist, and I'm like, oh, and I haven't figured, I haven't been smart enough yet to let go. My foreman comes running out of the office. He saw the whole thing. He pushes the pipe apart, looks down, sees me on the ground covered in clear coating, and goes, go home. <laughs> it's so, listen, sometimes you just got to pay stupid tax and learn them lessons. You know what I mean? And I learned that day. There was a reason why he told me to do it the way he told me to do it, because he had an understanding I didn't have that was for, that was for my best. So we go because the one who had authority said go. It was my job to do it the way he said it. Why? Because he had the authority to tell me how to do it. Why do we go? Because Jesus said go. Here's the other reason. Here's the other part of the why. Because all authority belongs to Jesus, and he said he'd be with us. Because all authority belongs to Jesus, and he said he'd be with us. Listen, don't you think it's amazing how much confidence we operate with when we know we have someone with us to go and do whatever it is that seems hard to accomplish by ourselves. And listen, family, we don't have someone. We have the one. We have the one who has said, I will be with you. You remember those, those first things that you did with your kids like, like the first day of school. Anybody remember walking your kiddo in to kindergarten? I do. And uh, you remember like teaching them how to ride the bike or, or teaching them how to dive, you know, into the pool or heaven help us teaching them how to drive uh, a car. And uh, what, listen, what gave them the confidence to go? What gave them the confidence to try and to learn and to jump in and to not be afraid? Do you know what it was for our kids? It was that her mom and I were there. It was that, that Carrie was holding her hand while they walked in. It was that I was in the pool ready to catch them when they, when they jumped. It was that I was in the passenger seat while we learned how to parallel park, and I got saved 19 times in one conversation. <laughs> That's, God, I wish that wasn't true. Okay. The point, the point is they had a confidence because I was there, because their mom was there. Listen, church, the Lord is with us. He is there so you can know that every gospel conversation you have, Jesus is already there. And he has said, I am with you always. So why do we go? Because the one who has all authority said go, and because in that authority he said, I am with you. That is why we go. So what's the second part of this? So we said the why we go and the how we go are built around and held together by the what we go to do. So how do we go? Jesus said we go in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Here's what's fascinating about that. All three persons of the Trinity are mentioned here by Jesus, but he expresses them 
in the singular understanding of God. He doesn't say you go in the names of the gods who are Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He said, no, there is one name. That name is expressed in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in that name, you have all authority necessary to transform the city for the gospel of, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It should bring us great confidence that you and I, when we go to share our faith and to make disciples of all nations, that we don't go in our name. And listen, my name has no authority to change someone's life. None. You having a gospel conversation because one of your pastors told you to, you can't sit them down and say and, and, and bring up my name and anything meaningful happen in their life. You can't bring up your name and anything meaningful happen in their life. But there is a name, there is a banner, there is a standard that we march under, and that is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Yahweh God, given to us as Abba, Jesus Christ our Lord. We go in that name. That's how we go. That's how we go. Have you ever been to a concert or like a conference or something? And like it, it ended and you looked over and there were people who were getting to go backstage and like see the artist. This was a big deal like with the music I grew up listening to, you know, these, these rock, rock and roll hair bands. And at the end of the concert, there'd be all these people with backstage passes and they're getting to go. I'm like, hey, I want to I go do what they're doing. But I didn't have the credentials to do it. I didn't have the badge. I didn't have what was necessary to Go, I didn't have the authority, but believer, I want you to know that when Jesus says, you go in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, he has said, you have all the credentials necessary to go and transform your city with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So how do we go? We go in the name of God. Amen? Amen. So the why we go and the how we go are built around and held together by the what we go to do. So what is it that we go to do? This is the primary calling of every Christian everywhere all the time. And that is make disciples of Jesus Christ. That is what we're called to do. That's it. Make disciples. Make disciples. Pastor, I just don't know what God wants me to do in my life. Ooh, I know, make disciples. Pastor Matt, I'm not sure, you know, how, how, what does God want me to do as I raise my children? He wants you to raise disciple makers. Pastor Matt, I'm not sure how I'm supposed to be at my job. Listen, that's a tough place. He wants you to be a disciple maker where you work. What has he called you to do? He has called every believer all the time to make disciples. And this command is not optional. It's not circumstantial. It is not temporal. We are called to make disciples. But I want to I look at those for just a moment because as believers, we have a tendency, and listen, I've had a tendency to drag hurdles onto the track and, and, and call them reasons why I can't go share my faith, to drag excuses in my own way, and then they become the reasons why I don't share my faith. 
I think the first thing we struggle with is we see the command as optional. We see the command as optional. Some Christians, uh, uh, I think, will live as, as if they can be faithful in other areas of their life at the expense of being faithful in this one. What do I mean? Well, I go to church. I tithe. I serve. I bring my kids. You know, I help in kids' ministry. I lead a life group. I volunteer. I do good things. Are these good? Yes, but they cannot become our substitute for sharing the gospel. Our serving, our tithing, our leading does not relieve us of the obligation to go and tell. As a matter of fact, they should be in part, they should be a part of what is inspiring us to go and tell. But when we do these things at the expense of being obedient to the great commission of Jesus Christ, we are walking in a partial obedience at best. A partial obedience. You know, it's baseball season. We love the Rangers uh, at our house. And I don't know if your kiddos play baseball or if you have a college team that you root for, but imagine if your favorite team, whoever that is, your kid's team, the Rangers, whoever that is, imagine if all they ever did was take batting practice. The only thing they did, which I'm convinced is probably what the Rangers do. I don't think they ever practice anything else. <laughs> the, imagine if all they did was take batting practice, right? Every day, they're just hitting, 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 and they never get in the field. Some of you coach. Imagine if you took your softball team or your baseball team and the only thing you ever did was batting practice and you never put them in the field and you never had to make them think through what to do in this situation, what to do if the ball goes here. Here's how we get the ball in front of the runner. When you get it, put it here. Get your glove on the ground. You never went through any of that. Now, game day comes. Are you still expected to field the team? Yeah, but it's probably going to be a nightmare. Why? Because you've only partially prepared. When we... When we embrace coming to church, when we embrace leading, serving, being a part, tithing, those are all good things. But with them and of equal importance is obedience to the command to go and tell. It is not optional. I think sometimes we see the command as circumstantial. Circumstantial. What do I mean by that? I think there may be some believers who live as though they can only share their faith if the right opportunity at the perfect time and in the perfect way presents itself. The stars have to magically align. Everything has to be exactly right or I can't do it. Have you ever waited for the perfect time to do something and ended up missing the opportunity? Anybody? Yeah, so I've... I've not made a lot, but I've made a few mistakes in our marriage, not many. Uh, one of the worst things that I ever did was uh, I bought our engagement ring for Carrie, and she knew when I had purchased it. She knew I had it. Fellas, that's a terrible mistake. Here's why. Because from that day forward, there is an expectation of what? Any day now. Any day now, he's going to ask that question. Well, I didn't have cold feet, but I was certainly dragging them a little, maybe I would say. And um, we, <laughs> we came to a time where we were about to go take a trip up to the Northwest. We were going to head to Oregon, and she knew 
This is the perfect opportunity. This is it. He's never been. It's beautiful. It's going to be amazing. He's going to do it. I had no idea what I was going to. I was looking for the opportunity in Marshall, Texas. Can I just tell you, Marshall and the mountains of Oregon are not quite the same, but because I was looking for the perfect opportunity here, I actually missed the perfect opportunity there because there, there were beautiful beaches, there were mountains, there was the Columbia River Gorge, there was all these amazing waterfalls, and I missed an amazing opportunity to do something really cool. Now, ultimately, it ended up being, and she's here. Like, we're together. It worked out, you know. But the, but I missed the perfect opportunity. Why? Because I was waiting for a perfect opportunity and missed a better one. We cannot see this command as circumstantial. Believers, our obedience to this command is not qualified on the condition that everything is perfect. We are called to make disciples. That means anywhere and at all times we live on mission for the kingdom of God. Here's the third thing I think we struggle with. I think sometimes we see the command as temporal. We see the command as temporal. I think there are some Christians who will live and act as though evangelism is, a, is something they do in a certain season uh, of their life. So younger brothers and sisters may say, I don't know enough yet. I don't know enough yet to share. I'll, I'll wait. I've got to, to get some more knowledge and experience, and then I'll begin to do this. And maybe some older brothers and sisters will say, you know, I don't have the energy or, or the time it takes to invest in someone who is far from God. I'm going to leave this work up to the younger people in the church. Listen, if God is in charge, and he is because he has said all authority is his, then the right time is any time the Lord brings opportunity. That becomes the right time. I want you to notice something that I've spent a, a lot of years missing from, from this story. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 17, I want you to look back at that verse. We read it at the beginning. So they go to Galilee and they go to the mountain Jesus had told them. And it says, and when they saw him, here, here he is, he's fully resurrected. They saw him die and now he's alive. They see him, they see the physical Jesus Christ and it says, and when they saw him, they worshiped him. That makes sense to me. But the next three words do not. But some doubted. Some doubted. He was standing right in front of them, and some doubted. And yet Jesus, listen, knowing all things, knowing there were some among them that doubted, he still gave all of them this great commission to go and tell. Why is that important? Because Jesus didn't wait for them to have a perfect understanding before he gave them the command to go and share the good news of the perfect gospel. He didn't wait for them to have a perfect understanding or a perfect faith before he gave them the command to go and share. We cannot let a gospel moment pass by because we lack the confidence to speak up. Jesus gave this command to disciples that knew him, saw him die, and now see him alive, and yet still they doubted. Why would he do that? Here's why. Because Jesus knew that the power of the gospel was not bound up in my perfect understanding of it. 
the power of the gospel is not bound up in your perfect understanding of it. The power of the gospel came from somewhere else. (laughs) It's dependent upon somebody else. It isn't dependent upon your perfect words, your perfect understanding, or your perfect faith. Why? Because it wasn't born of that. It was born of the person and work of Jesus Christ, who from beginning to end is perfect. And so the gospel, the power of the gospel is not dependent upon your perfect understanding. So believer, can we once and for all kill the excuse that says, I'm afraid they're going to ask me a question I can't answer? You know what? They probably will. Okay. So does that alleviate you of your responsibility to tell the good news of Jesus and how he has transformed your life? The power of the gospel is divine. It's, it's, it's greater than us. It's bigger than us. And, and when I submit to this commission that Christ has given, I get to be a small part of heaven touching earth to transform this lost and dying world. Listen, I've seen people come to faith in church services in offices, at the baseball field, on a track. I've seen it in the front seat of a car. I've seen it in a prison cell. I have seen it on the front porch, and I've seen it in the backyard. Anywhere we are willing to have a gospel conversation becomes holy ground. And it becomes ground that God may very well use to transform someone's life. If you have ever been a part of a gospel conversation where someone came to faith in Jesus, then you know that what I'm about to say is true. There is nothing that compares with seeing someone move from darkness to light. There's just nothing like it. There is nothing like seeing someone snatched out of the dominion of darkness when then set their feet upon the rock of Jesus Christ in the kingdom of his marvelous light. There is nothing like it. So why do we go? Because the one who has all authority said, go, and he said, I will be with you. How do we go? We go in the name of our God and the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And what do we go to do? We Go to make disciples. Now, if we are called to make disciples, then when disciples are made, what should it look like after that? We do two things. We baptize and we teach. We baptize and we teach. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So let's just for just a second talk about this this idea of baptizing and teaching. We cannot divorce the significance of baptism from salvation. Now let's be clear. Salvation is not predicated upon baptism. Salvation is not predicated upon baptism, but according to the words of Jesus, it is what disciples do. It is what disciples do. 
What do I mean by that? What I mean is baptism doesn't save, but it's what saved people do. There's nothing in those waters. We're going to baptize two people in the 11 o'clock service. They're already believers in Jesus Christ. They're getting in those waters because that's what saved people do. Saved people publicly declare what Christ has done for them. Think about it like this. Imagine if, um, remember back to your wedding day uh, when you were exchanging vows with your spouse? And you guys know, remember, it's the best day of your life. And um, you're exchanging those vows, and you get all the way through it, but you get to the part where you're about to exchange rings, right? And your wife takes the ring and says, with this ring, I thee wed, and goes to, and you go, well, if you hold on a minute, listen, I want us to be married. I, I agree with all this. I love you. We're going to be married. But I'm going to hold off a few months on wearing the ring. I, I, I want to get to know you a little better. I want us to uh, really see how well this is going to work. And a few months, maybe a few years, based on how all that goes, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll put the ring on. Right now, we're, we're married. Like, we're married. I just, I'm just not going to wear the ring. Ladies, how, how would that go? How well would that go for you? Right? Somebody's going to die, right? <laughs> Why? Because when you put that ring on, it is a public declaration. It is, it is a declaration to the world that I am in covenant relationship with someone. That, that I love this person and, and she, that I am hers and, and, and she is mine. And, and I don't have a relationship that compares to the one that I have with her. And this ring tells the rest of the world that that is true. That, that my life has changed. I'm not single anymore. I am now in a covenant relationship. And listen, when Jesus becomes the Lord of our lives, we are changed. We are not the same. We have entered into a covenant relationship with him that will forever change us. And baptism is the public declaration of that, which means this. Baptism is putting on the ring. It is standing in front of this spiritual family and saying, I belong to Jesus. You are not saved because you are baptized. But believer, you are baptized because you are saved. If you are in here this morning and your, your declaration would be, I am a believer in Jesus Christ, but I have never been baptized following that to publicly declare that I am his. Then I want to tell you all you've got to do in just a little bit when we respond is come take one of us by the hand and I will tell you exactly how to do it. And we, we will help you facilitate that because it is what saved people do. All right? So he says we baptize and we teach them to observe. So making disciples, that we, we make disciples, we share the good news of Jesus Christ. They've become disciples. We baptize and we teach. This life with Jesus is marked by learning from Jesus. We must read God's word and obey it. We must sit under the teaching and preaching of God's word and grow in our understanding of it. Listen, that's what discipleship looks like. And for us at New Beginnings, the first way we do that in this spiritual family is in life group. 
we get into life group and we open God's word and we navigate through, we have great conversations about God's word and these biblical principles and ways that we can grow and we share our lives with one another. So once again, you are going to hear me say this morning, if you attend worship and do not go to life group, you are forfeiting one of the greatest blessings of being a part of this spiritual family. We sit under the teaching of God's word. We read God's word and obey it. Why? Because Psalm 119, 105 says this, because your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That same psalm, but in verse 11, 119, 11 says, I've hidden your word in my heart. Why? That I may not sin against you. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 says that this word all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. Isaiah 40 says about this word, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. And then in John chapter 8, verse 31 in 32, Jesus said of the word, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth. And the truth will what? Set you free. So we make disciples because the one who has all authority told us to go and he said he'd be with us. And how do we go? We go in the powerful name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And what do we go to do? We go to make disciples, to see men and women moved from darkness to light, from death to life. And then we help them take that step of baptism where they publicly declare and put on the ring that I belong to Jesus. And then we enter into the life long love affair with his word and being sanctified until the day that we die. Why? Because the grass may wither and the flower fades, but this word will stand forever. This final address of Jesus, I, I think is the, it's like the climax of the entire gospel of Matthew. We've navigated the life, the crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, and now he stands one last time to tell his disciples and us what we must do. What must we do now, Jesus, in response to the life we have watched you live these three years, in light of the death we watched you die, and now in full view of the reality that you aren't dead anymore, but you are alive. Now what would you have us do? Go and make disciples. This is not a good suggestion. It is the Great Commission. And so we do that. So how this morning? What specifically is God saying to me and to you today? The first thing I want you to know is if you were here this morning and your confession would be, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. I've heard about him, but I've never fully rested in who Jesus is and what he has done for me. And, and I've never made him the Lord of my life. Then I want you to know this morning, today, can be the day of salvation. And you can come, and our ministers will be standing down here. We'll be here with our wives. You come, take us by the hand, and we will help you do that. Some of you this morning may say, you know what, I've been, I've been saved. 
but I've been hesitating to get baptized. I haven't put on the ring yet. I haven't publicly declared it. I'm telling you, you can come take us by the hand and we'll help you do that. For others of you, like myself, you've maybe felt conviction about the fact that you haven't shared your faith boldly with others. So I want you to do something. On the chair back in front of you, you should see some cards that look like this. Would you take one in your hand, hold it for me? It says, who's your one at the top? It's black on top, it's white on bottom. There's two squares. Church family, here's what we're going to do with these. I'm asking you right now to begin to pray that God would show you who's your one. Who's that person that you know who does not have a relationship with Jesus? And you are going to begin to pray right now that God would make a way for you to share the gospel with them. I am asking everybody to do this. Pastor Connor started talking about this last week. We are asking you to do this. Some of you this morning, you've already thought of the person. You already know who they are. And if that's true, I want you to write their name on the top and the bottom. Tear this apart, and I want you to keep the top in your Bible, and I want you to take that bottom white square, drop it in the offering basket. Here's why. Because your staff wants to pray over those names. We want to pray for these people who we are begging God to make a way that we could have a gospel conversation with them. But I am asking you, if you know that name, write it down. Some of you like me this morning, we're in that first step, which means this. We're starting today begging God to give us a name. God, give me a name. And I will commit, I will covenant that I will share the good news of the gospel with them. So maybe this morning your response is just to come and to pray and to ask that God would reveal that name. You may want to do that as a family, that, that God would give you a name as a family. Whatever God is calling you to do this morning, whether it is to come to faith, whether it is to take the next step of obedience through baptism, or whether it is to um, confess that you've just not been faithful in sharing the gospel and you want that to change today, whatever it is, I want you to respond in obedience. We have been commanded to go. And the why we go and the how we go are bound and held together by the what we go to do, and that is to make disciples. Amen. Father, we love you, and I thank you, Lord God, for the truth and the power of your word. I am praying right now, Father, that as we respond in worship, you would give us a confidence, God, and a courage to step out and to come forward, God, to step out and to step up. And, uh, Father, whatever you would choose to do in our hearts, would you do it? Holy Spirit, have your way in this moment. Come and move among us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Church, let's stand and let's worship.